Amen. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 14. I want to talk to you a little bit further about the Holy Ghost, specifically the works of the Holy Ghost. John is the last of the gospel writers. He wrote this gospel that bears his name somewhere in the vicinity of 60 to 65 years after Jesus had been crucified. And one of the things that he gives us information about, of course, the other three um, Gospels were already out, and he's familiar with them, and I'm sure he's read them many times. But he begins to give us some information that kind of ties up loose ends, if you will. Specifically, information about the Holy Ghost that Jesus told his disciples at the Last Supper. So in John chapter 14, let's start with verse 26. He said, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Notice that. Notice John emphasizes by the Spirit of God the teaching aspect of the Holy Ghost. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Now skip with me over to John chapter 16, verse 13. We're just picking out a few of the verses that he's talking about the Holy Ghost. We're not exhausting all of them. There are several others in the 14th, 15th, and 16th chapters. But verse 13, he says, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. Verse 14, He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. Here John's emphasizing the revelation work of the Holy Spirit. Verse 15, he says, All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. Let's turn with me over to 1 John chapter 2. These three epistles, John wrote at the end of his life, toward the end of his life, around the same time as he wrote the gospel of John. Verse 20, 1 John 2, 20. But you have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. Here he's talking about the Holy Ghost bringing knowledge to us or bringing us to a place where we know and I believe that knowing is by the inward witness that he speaks of skip down to verse 27 but the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you and you need not that any man teach you but as the same anointing teaches you of all things and is truth and is no lie and even as it has taught you you shall abide in him now, the word anointing, uh, the word unction in verse 20 is the same word uh, anointing used here in verse 27. He's talking about the presence of the Holy Ghost. Now, if we put these things together, John is saying that the Holy Ghost will teach us. He's saying that the Holy Ghost will reveal to us the things of Jesus. And he tells us that he'll guide us into all truth. All of these are works or aspects of the Holy Ghost, characteristics of the Holy Ghost. And we know that these things are done according to the word we know that the power of god the gospel is considered the power of god according to, to paul in romans chapter one he says the gospel is the power of god unto salvation to both jews and gentiles one of the things that um that i've been impressed about here lately are the quickening works of the holy spirit there are several places and times in my own life that I can look back 
and see where the Holy Ghost brought me something, not something that I didn't know, but brought me something that I knew and highlighted it. And that highlighting it added to my faith. I've told the story of how the Lord dealt with me when I was working with Brother Hagen, the first summer crusades that I was with him. The Lord dealt with me before we went on the road during the summer months to seek his face. And I didn't know what that meant. And so the only thing that I knew to do was to find all the scriptures in the Bible that talked about seeking his face. And so I, I went through, I, there wasn't, uh, nobody had cell phones back then. And so there weren't uh, apps that you could use on your phone. I had to take a big strong concordance with me. And there were over 300 times where the Bible talked about seeking God or seeking his face. So every day, as much as I was able, I would go through and, and read these verses of Scripture. In many cases, I would write them out. I wound up with several legal pads worth of Scriptures that I had written out pertaining to the instruction that the Lord gave me to seek Him. Well, I really didn't feel like I was doing a very good job because it didn't seem like there was an impact being made on me with the, the study and the research that I was doing or the way that I was doing it. And so we got back after the summer campaign and I was walking up the stairs to my office in the administration building, the old administration building that uh, uh, Kenneth Hagin Ministries used. And in mid-step, the Holy Ghost spoke a scripture to me. He spoke Hebrews eleven six, which says, it's in, without faith it's impossible to please God, for they that cometh to him must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And as fast as you can snap your fingers, well, really faster, all of a sudden I saw something. Now, I knew the scripture. It was part of the, the ones that uh, I was reading and writing out and going over day by day. But I saw something that I hadn't seen before. Now, it was there all the time, and it's really pretty obvious. It's kind of embarrassing that I didn't see it before then. But I realized that whether I felt that I was being effective in the way that I was studying, whether it seemed like any good was coming from it or not, I was, because of the attitude in my heart, I was seeking God. Before, I had been concerned about how do you seek God but all of a sudden, I knew that I was doing it. I knew that through the Word of God, I was searching for more of Him. And because of that, it instantly dropped down on the inside of me to expect God's reward. Now, prior to that point in time, I can't tell you that I was really looking for God to do anything for me or increase me or reward me or anything along those lines. Wouldn't have been a wrong thing to do. I just wasn't doing it. I was focused on other things. But as soon as the Lord quickened that to me, it wasn't like it gave me faith because, again, I had seen that scripture and other scriptures from the Word. But it strengthened my faith in such a way that all of a sudden I knew that I knew that I knew that a reward was mine. Now, I didn't know what the reward would be, but I just knew. I saw it as quick as you could snap your fingers. The whole thing about the Lord's prompting me or directing me to 
to seek him was so that I could come to the reality that God is a rewarder of them that seek him. In other words, the Holy Ghost prompted me to take action so that he could keep his word and bring to pass in my life what he wanted me to have. And within just a matter of a few days, I got a review, employee review, and they more than doubled my salary. So here was something that God was initiating for my benefit. But he was having, he always operates according to his word. And so he had to get me into a place where I could actively take hold of, by faith, the things that he wanted to do. And there have been different things like that, different uh, uh, types of things, different situations, different circumstances, where the Lord has quickened certain scriptures to my body or quickened certain scriptures to my, my spirit. This thing that, uh, uh, this physical attack that I've been under for the last eight years or so, there have been four different times in those eight years more of them in recent times than in the beginning. But different scriptures that the Holy Ghost has highlighted to me. Only one of those scriptures I didn't, uh, I really didn't know was there. It wasn't that I hadn't read it before, but I just never applied it or put my faith toward it or, or given it much thought at all, to be honest with you. But the other three were scriptures that I was already meditating on. But then, and, and in the same way, all three of these different scriptures, just as I woke up in the morning, the Lord quoted these scriptures to me. And it, how do I describe it? It didn't bring revelation to me in the sense that these were scriptures that I didn't know. But it strengthened my faith in such a way that the thing that I was believing for became more real to me. Now, I've looked back at different situations and different circumstances over the years. Like, for example, when we were under such financial pressure trying to build and finish this building. That was a five-year struggle. And nowhere in that time did the Holy Ghost quicken the Scripture to me. I'm not saying, and I don't want to leave the impression that if you're not having this, if this isn't something that you're experiencing, then you can't receive from God or take hold of what he has for you. I'm not saying that at all. Because we gained the financial victory in the circumstance concerning this building. And again, I, I can't remember any scripture specifically that the Lord quickened to my heart during that time. So again, I'm not saying that it's a necessity. But it seems to me that it's something that God wants to do. We talked a little bit about Psalm 119. In Psalm 119, David talks about being quickened in five different ways or according to five different things. He says, quicken me, O Lord, according to your word. Well, we understand that. That's a, a lot the things that I was just trying to explain, the experience that I had about Hebrews eleven six, But then he also said, quicken me in your way. Now the Bible says God made his acts known unto the children of Israel, but he made his ways known unto Moses. Being quickened in the Lord's way isn't just so much 
knowing or understanding what he will do or the end results of what he does, but to show how God operates. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, it says, There's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will with the temptation also make a way of escape. A way of escape. You can have two people in the same exact circumstances, whether it's physical, whether it's financial, or any other area of life. And they may come through it in two different ways. God may bring them deliverance completely different from the deliverance that he brings to somebody else or the manner in which it came. I think we always have to be open to God's ways. Well, that's what David was talking about. He said, quicken me in your way. Then he went further and said, quicken me, Lord, according to your righteousness. Well, if quicken means to revive or make alive, which it does, then we would have to understand that there's a lot of room for us to be quickened in righteousness, for us to come to the realization of what righteousness is and how it works on our behalf. Then David said, quicken me according to your judgments. For him to ask God to quicken him according to his judgments, he has to have some faithfulness built up in his life that he can know that he has the opportunity to rely on. See, if you're going to be quickened according to God's judgments, you've got to know that you were faithful to stand on the right side of that judgment. Otherwise, you don't want to be quickened according to judgment. You want to be quickened according to his mercy. Finally, the last one that he makes mention of is, quicken me, Lord, according to your loving kindness. Now, folks, I think all of them are great. But that last one, quicken me, Lord, according to your loving kindness, that's kind of the catch-all of all of them. It's kind of the consummation or the end result of any quickening power of the Holy Ghost. I know when um, the Lord had put it on my heart to leave Birmingham, Alabama and go to Tulsa and and, uh, attend Rhema Bible Training Center, there were things that seemed to be out of my reach I just didn't have the finances to get from Alabama to Oklahoma, much less the finances to enter school. And I remember school started the day after Labor Day. And I remember that when the weekend before, it was the beginning of Labor Day weekend, I had asked the Lord to provide the finances that I needed by that point in time because I'm trying to fit into the new schedule for the school. I knew it would take me a period of time for that weekend, during that weekend, to make the the trip from Birmingham to Tulsa. And so anyway, that day came along. And just as I woke up, the thought came to me, well, this is it. Here's the day you were believing for and it didn't work. Of course, I recognize that was the devil's voice. But then as quick as you can blink your eye, I had a quickening of the Holy Ghost. 
the Holy Ghost brought to my remembrance. He quoted to me 1 Thessalonians 5, 24. Faithful is he who calleth thee, who will also bring it to pass. Now in the King James it says, faithful is he who calleth thee, who will also do it. But the Holy Ghost quoted it to me as bring, he shall bring it to pass. Well, in a matter of just a couple of days, actually it was the day after Labor Day, the Tuesday after that Labor Day, I had the finances in hand and was driving to school, driving from Birmingham to Tulsa to get set up. In my experience, any time where the Holy Ghost has quickened a verse of Scripture to me, and sometimes it's just part of a verse, but I can remember every one of them just as, it was, just as if it had happened today. So when I say that during the time that we were struggling with the finances for the building, when I say I don't recall him quickening anything to my heart during that period of time, I'm really sure that he didn't. Now why? Why would you need quickening in one area and not in another area? What would make the difference there? Folks, I don't have an answer. I really don't know. But I do know that he's faithful. In situations, whether I've had a quickening or whether I haven't, thank God he's faithful. Now look with me to Zechariah chapter 10. We talked about this just a little bit last time we were together. But I want to go a little bit further. Zechariah chapter 10, verse 1, it says, Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain, so the Lord shall make bright clouds and give them showers of rain to everyone, grass in the field. Now, a lot of times people will look at a scripture like that and say, well, what does that have to do with us? Let me read to you from Hosea chapter 6 and verse 3. It'll give us insight into what this Old Testament scripture portends for us under the new covenant Hosea 6 3 it says then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord his going forth is prepared as the morning and he shall come to us get this he shall come to us as the rain as the latter and the former rain unto the earth so in other words the word of God is telling us that God uses in scripture God uses the rain as a type of the Holy Ghost so if we go back to Zechariah 10, 1 with that understanding and read it again, it, it brings greater light. Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. The time of the latter rain is the moving of the Holy Ghost. The time of the latter rain has to do with God's timetable. In other words, the time of the latter rain would have to be the last days. Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. So the Lord shall make bright clouds and give them showers of rain to everyone grass in the field. Well, grass in the field is talking about the result that this outpouring or this moving of the Holy Ghost will bring. It'll bring people into the kingdom of God. That's what grass in the field is talking about here. It's talking about a working of the Holy Ghost. A display of God's power and a manifestation of his presence that shall bring about people entering into the kingdom of God. Well, we know that's how it worked in the early days of the church. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Ghost was poured out, 
people came together and heard them speaking in these different tongues, and many of them were speaking in their own tongues, meaning the tongues of the people that were in town for the feast and that heard them. And Peter preaching about what this is, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, wound up getting 3,000 people saved in that one uh, event, that one thing that took place. We see a little bit further when God displayed his power in Acts chapter 3 where the man at the beautiful gate of the temple was healed. So you've got a manifestation of the presence of God in Acts chapter 2 that brought in 3,000 people into the kingdom of God. And then when Peter and John minister healing to this man at the beautiful gate of the temple, here's a display of God's power that brought 5,000 people into the kingdom of God. Folks, I like that plan of church growth. How about you? Now, it's an amazing thing that churches will go through all kinds of gymnastics and gyrations and every other thing, programs that they can try to come up with to, to reach people. But God just reached people with a manifestation of his presence and a display of his power. Now, in Zechariah 10, 1, where it says, Ask of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain, so the Lord will make bright clouds. That word bright clouds is only used three times in the scripture. Here in Zechariah chapter 10 and twice in the book of Job. Now, both times in the book of Job, it's translated lightnings. Well, bright clouds, how does bright clouds relate to lightnings? I did some research here recently. I don't know why I've ever, never done it before. It never has occurred to me. But I've done a little bit of research here lately about lightning. And lightning is identified or defined as electrostatic discharge. And there are three types of lightnings. Lightning always has to have a point A and a point B, a beginning point and an end point. And the conditions, and I don't understand how all this works necessarily, but when point A and point B become equalized, that's where lightning takes place. Now, some lightning is within one cloud. Point A and point B are just within the same cloud. And as a result, it just makes a flash or bright clouds. The second type of lightning begins at point A in one cloud and ends in point B in another cloud. And that's where we see streaks of lightning go across the sky. But then the third type of lightning, which is known as a lightning strike, point A is in the cloud, but point B, the end point, is on the earth. And that lightning strikes the earth. When I was in college, I'd like to think that college-age people ought to be more mature than this, but we... My group wasn't. We were about as dumb as you could possibly be. And in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, it's about 60 or 70 miles away from Birmingham, thunderstorms are pretty common. Tornadoes are really common. And we'd do stupid things when there'd be these thunderstorms or these tornadoes coming and we'd get out in the middle of them, or try to. 
just being stupid, I guess. I, I don't really remember why we wanted to do that. But there was one time where we were out, and it was pouring rain, thunder and lightning and all kinds of stuff. And we were standing, there was four of us together, and we were standing about 100 yards away from where lightning hit the ground. It knocked us on our rear ends, just being that close to it. It knocked us all to the ground. And there for a moment, it seemed like we were paralyzed on the ground. And then after a second or two, we were able to get up and we looked at each other and we ran for the hills. Our thunderstorm chasing experience was over. If you do just a little bit of research where lightnings are concerned, the energy that they've measured coming from a lightning strike is so much greater than anything else they've ever been able to duplicate, they can't even compare it. Now, folks, if we use this knowledge or information about lightning and apply it to spiritual things, spiritual truths. The beginning point of God's lightning is always on go. In other words, what I'm saying is, there's no work to be done on point A. But again, when point A and point B become equalized, now where lightning is concerned, I'm not exactly sure what the equalization is, is about. I'm not exactly sure. I may have read over it, but just don't understand it. What has to equalize? But spiritually, it's pretty easy to identify. When point A, the origin, the origin of God's power is equalized with faith on the earth, then you get a display of God's power that changes and affects things for good. And that's all Jesus was ever looking for when he was in, uh, ministering to people on the earth. He was looking for their faith. Because it's not good enough just to have point A on ready. If it's going to make a change on the earth in this physical realm, there's got to be faith attached to it. So if Zechariah 10.1 is a last day's scripture, and it has to be, Ask of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. Well, that has to be the last days. I believe we're in the last days, don't you? Paul talked about being in the, the last days 2,000 years ago. Well, we're 2,000 years closer to the return of Jesus than we were when Paul was here. So if we are in the last days, perhaps even the last of the last days, then this verse of Scripture is telling us what God wants to do. Now, God, even though he's sovereign, has subjected his power under the word of God or to the word of God. In other words, it means that God will always work according to his word, which means he's got to have a lot of point B's for that power to be displayed the way that he wants to. He's looking for man to equalize the power of his word through faith. Ask of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. 
So the Lord shall make bright clouds or lightnings and give them showers of rain. Now, if showers of rain is the working of the Holy Ghost, what work of the Holy Ghost would we expect him to do? Well, he's not going to reinvent things. In other words, he's not going to bypass what Paul told us by the Holy Ghost about the way that he manifests himself. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it talks about the nine different manifestations of the Spirit. Three of those manifestations bring revelation. Three of those manifestations display God's power. And three of those manifestations are utterance or vocal manifestations where God speaks to and through his people. Well, if he's going to give us showers of rain, he's not going to work apart from or outside of that list of nine manifestations of the Holy Ghost. Then that means, therefore, that God's plan is for us to ask or pray in the last days for these revelation gifts, these power gifts, and these vocal gifts or utterance gifts. And he will provide showers of rain. Now, showers of rain seems to me to be more than just one drop. If one manifestation of the Spirit is like a drop of rain, then a shower means an abundance of them. An abundance of revelation gifts. An abundance of power gifts. An abundance of utterance gifts. To the end result of bringing people into the kingdom of God, the grass in the field. Now, folks, if we look back at the things that God has done, we can identify or use them as examples some of the great works that he performed that are recorded for us. For example, we talk a lot about 2 Chronicles chapter 20 when Jehoshaphat was being challenged by the five enemy armies. Jehoshaphat proclaimed a fast and they came together and they worshiped the Lord and they prayed a wonderful prayer about God's deliverance, his promise of deliverance. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon a certain person and told him what to do. He said, the battle's not yours but the Lord's. Go down tomorrow and told him where they were by the cliff of Ziz. And watch God display his power. So the next morning they got up and Jehoshaphat reminded the people of the things that the Holy Ghost had said the day before. And he appointed singers and praisers to magnify the Lord. They began to sing, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And the Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, I think it's verse 20, when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments. And the children of Moab rose up against the children of Mount Seir. The Amorites rose up against the Hittites and whoever else was in the band of people. And they all slaughtered each other so that by the time that Israel came to them, everybody was dead. Every enemy soldier was dead. And all that was left to do was to take away the spoils. Now, folks, one flash of God's lightning triggered. God was ready all the time. God declared the day before that he would see them through to victory. 
but it took something on the part of point B, which is singing the praise. It was an act of their faith. And God's desire to show his power was equalized with the faith of the people to receive it. And we don't even know why the enemies of Israel began to fight against each other. A similar situation took place when the Syrians had besieged one of the cities of Israel. And the prophet prophesied that even though they were in the midst of a great famine and, and dire shortage of food and water because of the siege, that the next day deliverance would come. And the Bible tells us that very soon thereafter, even the same day, it says the Syrians heard what sounded to them like chariots coming. And they thought that Israel had hired mercenaries to help them. And so they left everything they owned and ran for the hills because of a sound. Because God made some kind of noise from heaven. Folks, the lightning flashes of God are so much more productive and are so much more powerful than anything we think or could even stop to think. God caused the enemies of Israel to be defeated by a noise in the sky. There's another situation where Jehoshaphat joined up with the king of Israel. Foolishly, he shouldn't have done it. But they were marching against the Moabites, I believe it was. And so they went in pursuit of the Moabites to a place where it took them three days away from the nearest water. Well, now they're in a bad fix because they're three days away now from any source of water whatsoever. And Jehoshaphat called for the prophet and the prophet said to the king of Israel, if this was just you, I and God too would just leave you out here and let you die. But because we have respect unto Jehoshaphat, the prophet gave them instruction on what to do. And he told them to fill this valley with ditches. Folks, there's nothing harder than digging ditches in ground that's three days away from water. But they did. And the next morning, the Bible says that God brought them water from some source that was in the opposite direction of any water that was available. Now, there's a lot of times where God uses natural phenomena as part of the work that he declares. For example, the Bible says that for a space of three hours, when Jesus was hung on the cross, darkness covered the land. Well, there's no mystery to that. There was an eclipse that took place, and that's where the darkness came from or came about. Now, certainly it had spiritual significance, great spiritual significance. 
But when this water comes from a direction that there is no water, how in the world did that happen? Here's a display of God's power. And God even said about that, he said before he did it, in declaring through the prophet what he would do, he said that it was a light thing. Well, it doesn't seem like a light thing to us. But it was an easy matter for him. Folks, God's lightnings, his displays of power, his manifestations of his presence are all simple and, and easy for him, no matter how tough it may look to us. Well, when the water comes from the wrong direction and fills all these ditches, it says when the Moabites came upon them, and they knew what the situation was for Israel, they knew that they'd been three days without water. Now here they're on day four, and the Moabites rise up against them. They see this water in these ditches, and they thought because of the sun shining on it, they thought that it was the blood of the Israelites. And so they wind up thinking that the Israelites have destroyed themselves out of fear. And so they just kind of walk up unprepared to the Israelite camp. And the armies of Israel defeated them. Of course, they were taken by surprise because they thought, based on what their eyes told them, they thought something that turned out to be untrue. Now, the display of God's power or the lightning of God in that situation wasn't just the miracle of the water, but the miracle of what the sun shining on that water looked like to the enemies of Israel. Think about how easy it is for God to set aside the laws of this earth. He created it. He knows what the laws are. You remember, for example, when Jesus walked on the water and for a short time, Peter did too. Jesus walked on the water to come to the ship where they were. And Peter cries out and says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you so I can walk on the water too. And Jesus said, come, and Peter did. Now, folks, I'm not sure how the, all that worked. Was gravity suspended? Or did the water become solid underneath their feet? Was it that? Was it a combination of that? Was it something entirely different? I have no idea. But whatever it was, was a piece of cake with God. Whatever it was, was a very simple thing. You remember in the New Testament, it tells about Philip, the evangelist who went down to Samaria and preached Christ unto him. He performed certain miracles in their midst as proof that Jesus was alive. Well, after the disciples in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John down to them to minister the Holy Ghost to them. But then it tells us about Philip was directed away from Samaria to a certain place out in the middle of nowhere. And while he was there, there was a chariot that came by and the Lord told him to join himself to the chariot, and he did. 
and he found a guy that was reading the Old Testament, what we know of as the Old Testament. And Philip asked him, do you know what you're reading? Do you understand what you're reading? And the guy said, how can I understand it? I don't have anybody to teach me. And so Philip taught him what the Old Testament was, was declaring about how Jesus came and fulfilled the work that the prophets had prophesied that he would do. And they came by a place where there was water. And this guy said, well, here's water. What keeps me from being baptized? Philip said, let's do it. If you believe in your heart, let's baptize you right here. So he did. He baptized this guy. This guy was, had some sort of important place with a ruler, a nearby ruler. And so Philip, after he baptizes him, the Bible says Philip was caught away. He was translated to another place. Now, folks, how do you disappear? Show me faith for disappearing. There's no scripture anywhere that would build your faith or give you any kind of standing in faith to believe to be caught away physically and instantly find yourself in another place. But for God, it was a simple thing. When the lightnings of God are in effect, when the lightnings of God are operational, things that seem to us to be beyond impossible become a very simple matter. Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. So the Lord shall make bright clouds, lightnings, and give them showers of rain to everyone, the grass in the field. The Bible says in James chapter 5 and verse 7 that Jesus is waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. The only thing that keeps him from coming back now is that he's trying to get as many people into his family as he possibly can before he returns. Now, folks, we know that there'll be evangelists, 144,000 evangelists that are left here, or actually that come to know Jesus after the rapture. And so there'll be a, a, a lot of people and certainly opportunities to get saved during the tribulation period. But God is so merciful. His loving kindness is so strong, so active, so present that Jesus is waiting so that his family, all of his family, can avoid the tribulation period and be raptured as he appears. And the Bible says that's the only thing Jesus is waiting for at this point. He's waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. And he has long patience until he received the early and the latter rain. Again, here's a reference to the moving of the Holy Ghost. The bright clouds are lightnings. A display of God's power. A manifestation of his presence. An outpouring of revelation gifts. Power gifts. And utterance gifts. I believe there's going to be more quickening of the Holy Ghost that takes place in the last days than there has been in all of the days of the church up till now. 
There's got to be a reason why this scripture in Zechariah chapter 10, talking about the last days of the church, there has to be a reason why God made his will known to us in this respect. Well, what would that reason be? Well, the Bible's real clear on what God wants us to do in these last days, and that is asking for the rain. Pray for these outpourings of the Spirit. Pray for these displays of God's power. Pray for the manifestation of his presence. Let's do that now. Let's all stand. Hallelujah. Father, in the name of Jesus, you said to ask of you rain in the time of the latter rain. Well, we believe this is the, the last of the last days. So this is the time of the latter rain. So we ask you for an outpouring of the Spirit of God. We ask you for the end time harvest to be produced, not by church programs, but by the power and the work of the Holy Ghost. You said that if we'd ask you for the rain, Lord, you'd give us the rain. You'd give us these showers of rain, these manifestations of power and revelation and utterance. And that those displays of your power, your goodness, and your loving kindness would bring forth grass in the field, would sweep multitudes of people into the kingdom of God. Father, we see that there's nothing left to be fulfilled before Jesus comes. So every day that he delays is an example of your loving kindness to populate your family to the greatest possible degree. So, Father, we thank you for hearing our prayer and for answering us. We thank you for the glory of the Lord to be revealed. We thank you, Father, for doing the same things that you did in the Old Testament, for the same lightnings of God that we have record of, but even things that we've never seen before. Father, it's so good to know that this is your will and that we're praying according to your will. And you said in your word, if we know that we're praying your will, we know that you're therefore hearing us, we can know that we have the petitions that we've desired of you. So thank you for the rain, Father. Thank you for the manifestation of the Holy Ghost. Thank you for displays of your power. Thank you, Father, for the lightnings of God. In Jesus' name, and if you can agree with that, say amen. Amen. Hallelujah. These are the most exciting days that mankind has ever lived. And he chose you and me to live it. Amen. God bless you, folks. Thanks for being with us.